The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. It's movie time with Brian Lloyd from entertainment.ie. We've lots to talk about, new movie releases and a little bit of movie news as well. Uh, Actually, let's start with Angela Lansbury because I'm sure lots of people are saying the 96-year-old who died this week, Murder, She Wrote on television. But there were some great movies she Mm -hmm. appeared in. And the one that really sticks out for me is one that must be over 50 years old at this stage with Frank Sinatra, The Manchurian Candidate. Yeah, I love The Manchurian Candidate. And actually, I was reading it up last night. The writer of this... uh, the Manchurian Candidate, Richard Condon, he actually lived in Kilkenny for a period of time and wrote a book about it. It was like, and then we went to Ross Navarra, I think it was called or something like that. But yeah, really, really interesting. I'm sorry, um, and Angela Lansbury lived in West Cork. Of it, course, just... and actually most people don't realise this, the reason she went to West Cork was because her two kids got involved with the Manson family and she was trying to get them. Yeah, that's true. She actually came to Ireland because her two children were getting kind of wrapped up in the Manson family. I think it was... I know that. Yeah, his, her her son, Derek, I think was his name, he um, basically got addicted to heroin and she wanted to move out of LA to get them away from the Manson family. And this was like about two years before the Sharon Tate murders and stuff, two or three years before the Sharon Tate murders. Yeah, Because her own mother was Irish, apparently. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, And her, um, her father as well was like, I think he was like the deputy mayor of London or something like that. He was involved in the socialist wing of Labour anyway, I know that. She had a really, really interesting life. But yeah, her film work, I mean, The Manchurian Candidate was the one that I would always go to because I think it was very much a departure from what we know. I mean, obviously we think of like, you know, Murder, She Wrote or even Bedknobs and Broomsticks. She has this sort of... For which she got an Oscar nomination yeah. in 1944. 1944 or even going to you know Beauty and the Beast and stuff like that we think of her as this sort of very maternal kind of motherly warm figure but in the Manchurian Candidate like she's this very harsh very domineering mother brilliant in it brilliant in it absolutely brilliant in a real sort of Lady Macbeth kind of thing and I think what's interesting as well is is the remake of the Manchurian Candidate the one with Jonathan Demme and Meryl Streep took over her role Um. Angela Lansbury played it with so much subtlety, whereas Meryl Streep was just like hammering away at the kind of the, I suppose, the eatable kind of uh, incestuous subtext that was very much there, but underneath the surface with Angela Lansbury's performance. When Meryl Streep did it, it was just subtle as a fart in a bathtub, you know? It's been decided that you will be dressed as a priest to help you get away in the pandemonium afterwards. Chun Jin will give you a two-piece Soviet Army sniper's rifle that fits nicely into a special bag. There's a spotlight booth that won't be in use. It's up under the roof on the 8th Avenue side of the garden. You will have absolutely clear, protected shooting. You are to shoot the presidential nominee through the head. And Johnny will rise gallantly to his feet and lift Ben Arthur's body in his arms, stand in front of the microphones and begin to speak. The speech is short, but it's the most rousing speech I've ever read. It's been worked on here and in Russia on and off for over eight years. I shall force someone to take the body away from him. Then Johnny will really hit those microphones and those cameras with blood all over him fighting off anyone who tries to help him, defending America even if it means his own death, rallying a nation of television viewers into hysteria to sweep us up into the White House with powers that will make martial law seem like anarchy. 
Now, this is very important. I want the nominee to be dead about two minutes after he begins his acceptance speech, depending on his waiting time under pressure. You are to hit him right at the point that he finishes the phrase, nor would I ask of any fellow American in defense of his freedom that which I would not gladly give myself. My life before my liberty. Is that absolutely clear? Okay, and then just we stick to the news. On Colleen Kuhn, even before we get to Oscars, Is having an extraordinary it success, is. isn't it? And it's so. I'm. I am so delighted that this film is doing so well. And it's. I think 29 weeks in Irish cinemas. But yeah, it passed the million mark, which. You know, for an Irish language film, I think it's the first time that that's ever happened. But yeah, if you haven't seen it, my God, go and see it. You are missing out on, honestly, for my money. And I know I've gotten pilloried for this, but I think this is the best Irish language film ever made. Certainly the best Irish language film I've ever seen. Um, An incredible film. The performances are brilliant. I'm so delighted for it. I would not be surprised if this got a nomination for an Oscar. And I'm... I've, you know, look, obviously I'm flying the Irish flag or whatever, but I would not be surprised. Because the thing I said when I was watching this was that if this was in German or if this was in French or if this was in Japanese, we'd be like, oh, this was incredible. This was brilliant. Blah, 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 blah. But the fact that it's Irish, we kind of tend to sort of, I don't know, doubt ourselves a little bit or whatever on the international cinema stage. But this I thought was incredible. So, yeah, I'm delighted for it. But let's talk about the new movie releases. Start with Emily. Emily. So this is based on the life and times of Emily Bronte. Emma Mackey, who people would know from Sex Education, the Netflix series. She plays the uh, title character. And what's interesting about this is it's written and directed by Frances O'Connor. People will know her as kind of a bit of a character actor. She was in like, you know, The Conjuring 2 and stuff like that. But this is her directorial debut and she wrote this as well. Um... This is quite a departure from period dramas in the sense of it's actually quite explicit and not only sexually, but also in the sense of the idea that, you know, Emily Bronte, I mean, she took opium. Her brother, Branwell Bronte, who's played by Fionn Whitehead, got addicted to opium, had a scandalous affair with a married woman and all this sort of thing and, you know, clashed with their father, the Reverend Bronte. And the sister as well, uh, Emily Bronte, she was you know, like most kind of middle children, was kind of a bit lost and didn't really know where she was going and was kind of referred to as the weird one. Um, Now, where the kind of poetic license comes in is that the film centres on this very stormy relationship he had with this reverend called William Whiteman, who's played by Oliver Jackson Cohen, and people would know him from The Haunting of Hill House. He was in The Invisible Man, very kind of intense actor. He's really kind of on a level with, I don't know, kind of nearly Daniel Day-Lewis. Like very, very, very intense. But yeah, they have this um, very stormy relationship, quite doomed in the sense of, you know, he's a reverend and is kind of committed to his flock. She, on the other hand, is quite inexperienced and just places all this kind of weight on their relationship. And when it all falls asunder, she goes to pieces as well. And that then influences how she writes Wuthering Heights, which, of course, was the only novel that she wrote. And really what Emily is about is the idea of, I suppose, taking emotional heartbreak and emotional trauma and using art to process it, because that's what Wuthering Heights was. It was her trying to process this stormy relationship she had. And I've not seen... I've seen a few films try to kind of do that, but I've never seen it done this well. And this... 
again, this explicitly, the fact that they really kind of drive at it. And, you know, most period dramas are generally tend to be very, very chaste and very sort of restrained or whatever. And this is very free and wild and ferocious. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Let's hear a clip where Emily Bronte, played by Emma Mackey, uh, Emma Mackey, excuse me, confides in her maverick brother, Branwell, played by Fionn Whitehead. Do you think I could be a writer? Perhaps. Show me something first, though. I have lots of stories. Should we go back? Mm. What's this? Hmm? Oh, yes. My creed. Don't let Aunt B see that. I don't care if she sees it or not. Freedom and thought. Mm, yes, but you can't say it, though. You have to shout it. Freedom in thought! What are you doing? You try. No, you're being silly. I'm deadly serious. Come on. No, if someone might hear us. Oh, yeah. They might. Freedom in thought! <laughs> Freedom in thought! <laughs> try it. Freedom in thought! A pathetic attempt. But freedom in thought! Come on, really get behind it. Freedom in thought! Come on, give it some welly. Freedom in thought! Freedom in thought! Emily Jane, I think Reverend Miller might have just fallen off his chair in the rectory. <laughs> Good. Freedom in thought! Okay, mm. that's from Emily. Um, Lyle Lyle Crocodile, family musical? Family musical, yeah, and very much kind of uh, trying to follow the vein of Paddington, but not doing it quite as well. Uh, Lyle is this crocodile uh, who uh, is able to sing. He's voiced by Sean Mendes. Javier Bardem is this kind of washed up magician that finds him, tries to turn him into a sort of a talent show TV act. Doesn't work out. He goes on the run. And then a family played by Scoot McNary, Constance Wu and Elliot uh, Fergley is the kid's name. They move into the house, discover Lyle, and then they kind of go on to these adventures. Um, what I found interesting about this was, and maybe this is just me being very, very harsh about it or something, but like when you look at Paddington, Paddington was sort of an allegory about refugees. You know, the idea that Paddington was found in Peru, brought to the UK, was told that he could stay there. In Lyle Lyle Crocodile, they discover the crocodile, but he's only allowed to stay because he only has a talent, and his talent is singing. Now, look, I... Qualifies under the point system. That's, yeah, that's kind of it. And it was like, I was watching, it was like, that's kind of a bit of a messed up message for kids. You know, know, only the weirdos can stay if they're kind of interesting or have a talent or something like that. So, I mean, look, and look, maybe I'm just reading into that or whatever, but I think, you know, well, if it's trying to so closely follow Paddington, you know, like family finds a magical animal and go on these adventures. It's it's saying something a little bit different about it. You know, maybe it's just very, very American. But yeah, um, this is fine. It's okay. I mean, kids will enjoy it, but not much else going on. All Quiet on the Western Front. That's yeah. a very famous movie. Is this a reissue? This is a remake, yeah. Now, what's interesting about this is, is that it's been done a couple of times. Obviously, there was the 1930s one that was the first uh, non-musical talking film to win Best Picture. That was done by an English and American cast. 
then there was a, a version of it in the 1970s that was done by an American um, an American production. And that was kind of an allegory about, you know, the Vietnam War. This one, this is actually the first time that All Quiet on the Western Front has been done by a German um, director and a German cast and a German production, which is fascinating because the film was written by a German. It was set from the German perspective in World War One. Um but, I mean, this is just, this will hollow you out when you watch it. Like, it is so grim, but brilliantly shot. Like, looks absolutely gorgeous. The performances are really, really interesting. And I think as well, the fact that it is an American production, or sorry, a German production and not an American production, it has a lot more to say about, you know, I suppose German values. Like, I mean, the opening scene is them all going into the college and um, they're meeting the teacher and the teacher has the exact mannerisms of Hitler. You know, even with the shaking hand and the big sort of, you know, we are going off to the glory of the fatherland and you'll return with an iron cross pinned on your chest. And these kids are just, you know, brought up to think that they're going to be, you know, war heroes when in actual fact they're just me for a grinder. You know, they're just cannon fodder. Um, and I think as well, considering like, you know, 1917 from a couple of years ago was... You know, I mean, it was very much about the horrors of war and everything, but it was quite action-packed and it was a sort of an adventure. It was two lads going off trying to do it. This completely dispels any kind of myth. This is just, they are just surviving, living off the land, being killed left, right and centre. And in the end, it is all just proven to be completely meaningless. And... You know, generally war films try to kind of make some sort of... I mean, there's always that argument that there is no real anti-war film because war is in itself is an exciting prospect. And when you put a camera in front of it, it will look exciting, even though it's not exciting at all for the people in it. This, I think, gets close to being a true anti-war film. And the only other film I can think of that is as close to an anti-war film would be Come and See, which was this film from the 80s. This uh, Soviet film was brilliant. But uh, yeah, no, this is really, really worth the watch. It's going to be on Netflix, I think, in two weeks' time, but a few art house cinemas are going to show it, like the IFI and the Lighthouse and Triscoll are going to show it. So, Brian Lloyd from entertainment.ie, thank you for being with us. So that's it for today's programme. Big thank you to my entire production team, Dermot Doyle, Liz O'Neill, Orla Kearney, Avian Meehan, Shireen Langan looked after the sound and Stephen Daly is up next. We'll be back tomorrow from half past four. We'll have the week trending for you. We'll also have the last word on sport from six o'clock and some great guests for you to meet. Hope you can join us then. From me, Matt Cooper, have a very good evening. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-